The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Tuesday night edition of the pod. Kawhi Leonard returned tonight playing his first game of the season. We'll talk about how he looked against Dallas, although they ended up losing in that game. Fun overtime tilt between Minnesota and Philly. And a really enjoyable game also in overtime between the Knicks and Lakers. That one we'll spend some extensive time on. We're brought to you today by Helix Sleep. HelixSleep.com slash Capspace will get you $50 off your personalized mattress. Let's uh, begin with talking about what you saw from Kawhi Leonard in that game against Dallas Danny first things first it was just nice to see him on the court again that you know he is was an MVP caliber player last year you know he was included in that conversation and had not played since that spectacular first half against the Warriors in game one of the Western Conference Finals and then of course he sprained his ankle twice and then the quad tendinopathy he didn't look like 100% Kawhi Leonard you know that without I think that was in some ways the most apparent thing out there he was his jump shot looked good, but he wasn't moving like Kawhi Leonard. And that didn't particularly concern me, though it was a reminder of probably where he was for a while before this. If like, if they were willing to let him play in, I don't know where you want to put this, like 75, 60% or something like that in terms of his full mobility, where he was before that. But it was still nice to see him out there. Yeah, it was definitely did not look like him uh, on either end. He got winded to be sure. And there was a time when defensively, even, you know, as he's usually very active he had his, his hands on his knees in the third quarter did get up 12 shots in just 16 minutes had 13 points shot six of 12 from the field hit, hit a three we last saw him pretty early on in the third quarter and they never brought him back in in crunch time which is a strategy that i actually kind of like because you know at the end of games in particular guys are going to be going really hard and leonard this was kind of a, a view into what he's going to look like, you know, seven years from now, I thought. I mean, he really looked pretty old out there, but with his great strength, was still able to maneuver into position and, and shoot over guys in the post or pulling up for mid-range after using his shoulder to get good position in the lane. But yeah, I mean, it, he definitely, I mean, just watching him was not running at full speed, was not at full intensity defensively. And I thought it was impressive given his limitations that he actually scored as well as he did, but but it's clear to me that he has some way to go before he gets back to being the player that we have come to expect. Yeah, he was San Antonio's number three scorer and he played 16 minutes and was still, you know, not that it was it was pretty impressive. And he had a couple of like, I mean, I thought his jump shot form looked great. He had that one where he had a three in transition. He had a, a kind of a pull up at another point, I think it was on Harrison Barnes. And that's good. You know, that the, the fact that he was he was getting, you know, maybe not as much rise as he usually gets, but getting a fair amount of it. I thought that was nice. 
and just the guile. Like it was uh, it, that it was another testament. You have this sometimes when players are coming back from injury. Like you you see some of the underlying skill because they can't use the other elements that make them so great. And the fact that he was able to get that position on Harrison Barnes in particular that he kind of started with an ISO and just got to his shoulder and got that shot in the paint. And so we didn't see, especially I thought I thought offensively, you know, because he has that jump shot, you can go to that. Whereas on defense, he had a couple like rebounds where he just tipped the ball because he's Kawhi Leonard and has amazing hands. But you can't get that kind of stuff on a possession by possession basis just because defense functions so differently. Yeah. And also worth noting, the Mavs broadcast said it looked like he actually asked out of the game in the third quarter. Uh, But it would be typical of the Spurs that he wouldn't play more than about 15 minutes as he did. And and then he went to the locker room, uh, presumably to get treatment. We haven't heard anything about an injury afterwards. I thought I heard something that that was that it might not have been all what was planned but that it was that they weren't worried about anything there was no there was no especially there was no special concern he just went back and we're seeing this a little bit more often now in the league just to get extra attention because there's certain things they can do back there that they can't do just on the sideline so i i wasn't concerned if they're not concerned about it i'm not going to be concerned about it yeah as for the game itself i watched most of the second half 95 89 dallas took it despite only one of eight shooting from dirk Nowitzki and one of nine shooting from devin harris everyone else played well jj Barea continuing just what has statistically been one of the higher scoring seasons of his career 16.6 of 11 for him hit a couple of big threes in the third quarter as Dallas pulled out to the lead that they would eventually maintain in this one Dwight Powell has continued to impress of late he had 12 and 14 with four offensive rebounds in only 17 minutes as they went to a more mobile approach and they were largely smaller than the Spurs and that led to the Spurs trying a a lot of post-ups and also just missing a a lot of three-pointers as well so and Manu Ginobili who'd had some nice games lately played 27 minutes but he only had five points a lot of guys Danny Green was one out of six LaMarcus struggled a little bit as well they posted him up a lot but he wasn't able to score with the efficiency that we've seen it from him Rudy Gay really the only Spur who did well Brun Forbes had a really rough game he had one stretch where he took a really tough floater then he bricked a wide open three off the backboard and then tried to draw a foul and got a a three-pointer blocked like in like three straight possessions but he's been playing a lot so uh it's an ugly loss for the spurs something that can happen i mean this mavericks team is rick carlisle knows how to play the spurs as well as everyone they kind of got lulled into carlisle ball shall we say and the spurs actually took more three-pointers than they normally would but uh as mentioned only 25 seven out of 28 and so now we'll get to see Kawhi Leonard in a couple of different circumstances they have a, a nice little rest here and yeah they do have road games back to back like they're, they're I mean road games consecutively they're on this kind of trip but it's Phoenix Dallas Houston so they could sleep in their own beds if they want to like they, they don't have to travel and deal with all those rigors if they don't want to they can go home for a couple days and then they have that then they play Dallas again actually their next league pass game is against Dallas it's the third time I think they'll play this year so it's going to be a process like with Kawhi I don't think anybody expected him to be 100% but also that the the Spurs will be judicious about this I I trust them more than I trust any other franchise to be patient with this and understand that the long game is what's important and they were 19 and 8 without Kawhi Leonard so they know that they don't have to rely on him as heavily and remember they're still they're incorporating Danny Green who missed a couple games due to injury and all this other stuff so they're they're going to figure it out I did there was nothing in today's game that made me think oh man this, like it's going to be any sort of trouble for the Spurs it was just they 
Dallas have played a nice game. They missed some shots they normally make, and they're getting all these guys back. All right, much more to get to here. But first, this from the mattress that I sleep on, Helix Sleep. And if you want to get started with them, you can get $50 off at helixsleep.com slash catspace. That URL, easy to remember. We talk about it all the time on the program. A couple things stand out about Helix Sleep. Number one is their two to three minute questionnaire that allows you to actually com- customize your sleep experience in terms of temperature in terms of firmness if you and your significant other can't agree on how you want it you can actually get it split down the middle as well and we have two of them now we have one in the guest room got another one for the master bedroom and ever since i got it i've been getting the best sleep of my life it's the one that i we originally got is two years old now and still is uh, good as new i tried another one size fits all mattress delivery company that you may know from sponsoring other podcasts and it wasn't as good i actually ended up returning it because it just wasn't for me one size fits all i apparently don't fit into all so the way it works you could have a helix sleep custom mattress at your door in a week with free shipping and then you get to hold on to it for 100 nights if you don't love it they will pick it up and refund you in full so once again the way to get started with them helixsleep.com slash capspace that's helixsleep.com slash capspace let them know that you came from us let's hit a little news here first just to kind of change things up before we get into the gamers and the place to start really is in some of the biggest news that i think is actually interesting to talk about i generally eschew the balls and all the lavar ball crap but this is interesting to me because the lamello is actually like a real prospect leangelo not so much but they now are going to play in january in lithuania a small team team called Prinu Vitautas, which is in a, a town of only 10,000 people. They have like a 2,000 seat gym and, and like not at all considered an upper echelon Lithuanian league team. These guys probably can't even play for the A team. They might play for, for the B team, but certainly could use the publicity apparently. And so it'll be very interesting to see because the, the coach is known as a really strict coach. Who doesn't uh, speak English. Yes, yes. Uh, and the biggest thing that struck me here about this was that i don't think that lavar made the right decision like he's coupling together liangelo and lamello and lamello is like a real prospect he's the number seven high school kid he's i think is in his junior year right now and he actually dropped out of high school to go and play here and you know i can't imagine they're getting that much money but liangelo is considered to not really be a prospect as uh Woj just made very clear with his uh many tweets uh, telling us uh, about how he doesn't approve of, of these tactics and i agree i mean it doesn't sound like that great but interesting to see Woj going in on them like this uh on twitter in any event i think lamello is someone who maybe could have gone somewhere that would have made a little bit more sense and could have actually been in a team's development system for two or three years and possibly could have actually contributed on some level but but uh, Leangelo, maybe not. And also, I think, last thing here, Danny, I know I've droned on here, but you remember what happened with Terrence Ferguson, where the Adelaide 36ers basically took him on, and then it was almost just like they are both able to print money. Like, they paid him, you know, whatever it was, a, a decent salary, and then they were able to recoup that by his NBA buyout. And so teams, that, from a financial perspective, could potentially appeal to teams. But if now it's like, oh, you got to deal with Leangelo as well, and, like, you're going to have to play him and have him around, 
on when you know he's not really going to help on the floor and, and isn't an NBA prospect you're really limiting what LaMelo can do it reminds me of and I for, I fortunately never had to deal with this because my sister is great but those people who just kind of like you saddle you saddle one kid with another just because it makes things easier and it happened there, there are times this happens in politics it happens in sports you know all that kind of stuff and it's really unfortunate for LaMelo because it narrowed the options and the, the other part of it that you didn't mention is Leangelo is the worst player and is also the one with baggage because of what happened in China and so I don't know if the teams there would have treated LaMelo differently he was of course not involved in the incident at all so whether they would have said hey we, we don't want to deal with any of you or whether it would have been hey he wasn't there it's not his fault anything like that I think they would have sold tickets for him so by cut but I think putting them together definitely took China off the market and whether whether it had already happened or not I don't know and I mean if that narrows your window to, to teams like this that's going to be with diverse coaches they can't speak English it's going to be a problem and I have broadly first of all I've broadly avoided LeVar Ball as a topic because I just don't find that much interesting about it and because as a, as a from a basketball perspective and because yeah. but I think I'm, this is interesting just because right, of right, like, this what is do where, you this do where I'm getting into right? it right yeah but so and also because Lonzo is by by all accounts a really good kid you know has a good head on his shoulders and so I always have trouble when people try to make other things the story when the fact that he's raising a good kid is is, is an important part of this but this is a decision that material affects somebody who is of relevance to our jobs and that makes it matter and so I think it's I think it's a bad decision of course that is not condemning it we've been wrong before we'll be wrong again but I think that he did his he did one of his sons a disservice here and I hope it doesn't have any lingering effects you know talent almost always wins out when it comes to the NBA but these things do matter yeah we'll see maybe it'll actually work out okay it does seem there has to be more like it, it looks so bad on the surface that there has to be more in terms of assurances than what we've already heard i mean this well, is i think a, there's like an opt-out a month into this contract or something like that like there's some weird i i, I think i've heard <laughs> things like that but it, contract reporting is hard enough contract reporting on european lower league contracts is even harder yeah so we'll see what happens and uh, i do appreciate anyone who says hey you know what this stupid amateur system in the u.s we're going to try and get around that and actually make some money early on it seems like it LaMelo was starting to get to the point where he might have had some eligibility issues and, and stuff like that if he had continued on the path of going to UCLA and staying in high school. Uh, but there is, a, you could say, that the U.S. system for the top guys actually does develop people pretty well, and we'll see whether that, in fact, happens in Lithuania. Uh, but, you know, we'll be monitoring this uh, here and there. Um, what else we got here, Dane? Let's start this with Cody Zeller. We talked about it on the podcast yesterday, but now we have a much more specific idea Woj originally reported that Zeller is going to have meniscus repair in his left knee. He is expected to miss six weeks. That is um, a long... No, no, that, that is incorrect. I mean, I know that's, that's what tr- Woj's tweet said, but that's, this is... Uh, that's a trim, right? Six weeks is well, a trim. Well, no, re- repair is like when you actually like... I mean, that, I, I, he probably was just wasn't thinking about it, but like the repair is the one that takes like four to six months. That's the one that like that, that Derek Rose had, that Westbrook had that ended right. in 2013. Um, but so... It, it's actually just the trim so it's uh this is the one that's that's six to eight weeks i know the tweet actually said yeah so the the timeline is correct the terminology was incorrect yeah and and as i always say on these i'll take the over in terms of how long he's going to be out you know it usually ends up being two months and especially for zeller who has not really been a incredibly quick healer and also has had repeated issues with his knees in the past and amazingly charlotte won in a blowout at ok 
OKC just blew him out of the water in the third quarter. And we'll actually see Charlotte tomorrow against Houston on the Tour NBA show, where I would not expect them to be as competitive. But I mean, still at 10 and 16, it was Zeller out for this long. Uh, there could be issues. And then Marcus Morris, uh, per Shamsharania, he's expected to miss extended time. We noted that he was supposed to be reevaluated on Tuesday once they returned to Boston. And our prediction was with this thing lingering that you know maybe there could be surgery or, or he, he may have to be shut down. We still don't have anything, any knowledge there other than just a sore knee. But if anybody can withstand Morris being out, I mean, I think they're really going to need him in the playoffs because Ojale isn't really ready as an offensive player. Um, and they're, they're going to need someone who can attack switches and ISO as well. But And we've seen like with the few games that Morris has been right this year that he's had a positive effect. So hopefully he can get back at least, you know, and back into the swing of things before the playoffs. But for now, during the regular season, Boston should be fine. They actually got worked by Chicago when Kyrie was out with a quad contusion like their whole team was out, including Morris uh, on Monday. A little bit of a Mavericks corner on this. Dennis Smith is going to not play on the upcoming road trips that I think it's three three games that they're going on. And so it still doesn't sound like it's something, you know, big, long-term serious, but it is worth noting. And the more serious one is that we still don't have a timetable. Yeah, but for- by the way, the hip injury for Smith, it, it, uh, Eddie Sefko's column actually said it's a, an adductor, so more of a, a, a groin uh, of a issue. Groin thing. Um, so that's good that it's not, you know, something like more structural with the hip, at least for Smith, but a little worrying for Smith that, you know, he's kind of had a few of these nagging injuries, especially as with the high flyer that he is and the fact that he tore the ACL in high school. And just being, I think he, for me, he has taken Joel Embiid's place as the scariest follower in the league as well. Yes. And then the other one, his intended backcourt mate, Seth Curry, still doesn't have a timetable, just keeps getting setbacks. There's a piece that's sitting in my in my uh, to-read tab about really going through it, but that has to be frustrating for him. You know, in a contract year, as much as we lose sight of that, he's in a contract year, it was expected to be a big part of this Mavericks team, and now we're two months into the season, and we still don't know when he's going to come back. Yeah, and he had uh, severe issues uh, with that fibula when he was at Duke, and, you know, he said in an interview that you know he'll start up activity and then experience soreness and keep having to back off so it really has been frustrating and it may get to the point you know he's had very slow improvement uh, per the MRIs that he's been getting and so maybe a surgical option will have to be pursued there if uh, things don't start picking up uh, continuing with the lower leg injuries Tony Allen will miss three or four weeks with uh, what sounds like a stress fracture of uh, his fibula probably the non-displaced variety there he'd been on the fringes of New Orleans rotation and also very difficult to play him at the same time with Rondo uh, yesterday we speculated on where Derek Jones Jr. ended up the answer was right back where he was before with the northern arizona suns uh, but he will be just signing a contract with them uh to stay there that's the system that he's been in still a surprise to me uh, that he was not in fact claimed yeah it was surprised because he had a very team-friendly contract it didn't even guarantee for this season for another month and then it had more on top of that i, I would have considered that for teams that had space like even let's say the the pacers it would have been a pretty clean flyer for them to just try him out for a month and see if he's any good and then let him go if not and you can go to 
the 10-day contracts or whatever the heck you want to do. Danilo Gallinari had another glute injury, not a flute injury, as Dan Wojcicki originally tweeted and amused me to no end. But that was the only amusement with this because, of course, Gallinari is an important part of the Clippers' success, particularly without Blake Griffin there. And this is doesn't look to be nearly as severe as the last one, but he'll be out a couple games. Yeah, the distinction, I think, is that the glute was a pulled muscle the last time. And this, he took a bit of a hard fall, but Rivers saying it'll be a couple of games, but hopefully it won't be longer than that. He didn't seem as concerned about it. John Wall set to return on Wednesday per David Aldridge against the Grizzlies in D.C. And Tony Jones reporting that George Hill, you recall, he tweeted a bunch of angry emojis after a King's loss. And when Scott Perry was there, supposedly the vets were, and now uh, Scott Perry, of course, is with the Knicks. Supposedly the vets were told like, oh yeah, we're really going to try and compete for the playoffs. Well, you know, I, I don't buy it there. Like if number one, we all knew that they were going to be really bad. I mean, if you thought that they were going to be good, like you're you're just not looking at the roster and they've got, they had eight guys on rookie scale contracts. And so it always seemed like sort of more of a veteran shepherding exercise. And it's also revisionist history because George Hill had absolutely nobody else who is remotely willing to pay him the type of money that the Kings did at the time that he signed. We were shocked that he ended up there because it looked like his market had dried up even further than it eventually had. Yeah, he didn't turn down the reported extension offer from the Utah Jazz to sign that offer from the Kings. And we don't do sound drops on this show, but if we had one, a tiny violin would be very appropriate here because when you're signing with the Sacramento Kings, it doesn't matter what somebody tells you. With this roster, you couldn't have expected that they would be actually competing. You could say you could say the word try all you want. They, they I think they intended to compete this year. They just weren't good. And so if that was the way they went into it, then somebody somebody made a mistake. I don't know who it was, but somebody yeah, did. I mean, they had already drafted De'Aaron Fox. Like, what do you, what do you expect? And, and and Jones and I completely agree. We were critical of them for a while. Just like, you know, you're not bringing in another point guard. I mean, maybe you can play those guys together, but Fox needs to, needs to have the ball in his hands. And, and it's maybe the issue is that, you know, Hill isn't playing as much. He thought he would just play more and the kids would play less. And, and they've kind of gone with just like more of a development like tanking type of strategy and then he'll actually gave an interview with uh, sean cunningham out, out of sacramento sort of saying hey you know i knew realize it's about development now and blah blah which i'm sure was uh nicely assisted uh, by king's uh, pr uh, this would be an interesting one for you danny uh, especially given you recently wrote a book on golden state warriors history any thoughts on the retirement uh, of matt barnes and his career i mean it's, we don't need a long soliloquy i guess but a few things he's an interesting character yeah i mean he is a a role player to be certain who has just made an interesting impact on the league you can think back to his relationship with Kobe Bryant and just all all the trials and tribulations there I mean his his years all over the league being a part of two incredibly memorable Warriors teams as a part of that kind of bookending his career and Barnes should be remembered also as one of those real success stories of a guy that came out of nowhere I mean he was not on the NBA's really he went to UCLA of course but he wasn't drafted or anything like that he Don Nelson actually was basically found him. And I think Baron Davis advocated, it's, I, it's funny, this is in my book, but I don't remember it well enough. I think Baron Davis advocated for him to get a tryout and then they, he, he got a tryout and then he did really well and, you know, made a, made a long career out of it, made a lot of money, was on part of a part of championship teams and the We Believe team, of course. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's an interesting legacy and he helped make this a more interesting league. And I am thankful to people.
people who did that yeah always a polarizing figure between teammates and opponents uh and his inability to keep up his temper but you know certainly on that we believe team played a, a very interesting role at one of the first teams that really just played guys at, at the four who normally would have been threes and then it probably had his best years with the Clippers I mean it was interesting you, you mentioned the money and obviously by any person's standards he, he made a lot of money but I think he basically was on like one year minimum contracts for maybe like the first like eight years of his career and then he finally ended up yeah. with the Clippers and signed like a three-year deal uh for the mini mid-level at like three million a year and actually ended up quite underpaid by that and managed to play well into his mid-30s and then ended up getting a, a huge contract from the Kings who are of course still paying him now a, a two-year six million dollar deal and they waived him uh, I'm sorry two-year 12 million dollar deal and they waived him you know two-thirds of the way into the first year of that and that's how he ended up uh, on the Warriors last season I want to correct one thing I said NBA championship teams I knew it was one I was just talking about that his, his competitive teams because while he did play on the Lakers he did not play on their championship teams and he ha- i believe he hadn't played in nba finals before the one he played on as a warrior last year sam amick re- reporting and you know i'm always interested to hear what what people say like this but that the rockets are considered by rival executives to have a decent chance of signing lebron and yeah you know that's uh, that's nice but if lebron james is going to demand his a max contract uh, of starting about 35 million per season it would be uh, i mean yeah maybe they could move ryan anderson maybe they could move eric gordon you know maybe they could move pj tucker but you basically cannot have james harden and chris paul and lebron james all making the max and then you've also got trevor ariza who they want to bring back uh, as well they would presumably want to bring back clint capella he's got a seven million dollar cap hold and so there's it would take some massive massive salary cap gymnastics i mean for instance harden is due 30 million next year if you take out anderson and gordon and paul's cap hold and ariza you still only have 43 million in space so you think you're going to fit lebron and chris paul both into 43 million in space and that's after you've gotten rid of ryan anderson and eric gordon and trevor ariza good luck daryl i mean maybe if lebron really wants to take less but he has been very adamant of course about getting the most that he can in his career vowing never again after he took less in Miami I think that if LeBron and CP are going to play together it's probably not going to be in Houston it would be somewhere else but you know we've seen before that if there's a will there's a way it's just that there doesn't seem to be a whole heck of a lot of way here all right let's talk uh, Lakers and Knicks I really enjoyed this game on a number of levels it started off with Kristaps Porzingis just burning the Knicks in the post to, as the Lakers took a quick, or I was just burning the Lakers in the post as the Lakers took a, a quick lead and then Porzingis got them back into it, you know, tying it, the game at 13. Porzingis ended up with 37 points in 40 minutes, but that really changed the strategy because he was burning guys one-on-one, whoever was guarding him. And so... Uh, and also getting off in pick and pop type of plays so they decided what they're going to do was put brandon ingram on whoever the point guard was and then any play involving porzingis they would just switch and then ingram would be on porzingis i thought he actually did an okay job uh, on kp and 
or if they had to switch someone else on there like you know Alonzo Ball then they would front and then while the ball was in the air to the fronted Porzingis bring help over it and it got to the point where they were doubling Porzingis much of the time 18 feet away from the basket just hard doubles and that was a strategy that I actually advocated for to some degree because Porzingis has one of the lowest assist rates might be the lowest assist rate basically of anyone who's ever scored 25 or more per game when we looked at it a couple weeks ago I don't know how much that's changed and in fact Porzingis had one assist although he did have a few more hockey assists in this one but it was very interesting to see that that's the strategy they went to and I thought it was a a decent one given the lack of shooting that the Knicks have with Tim Hardaway Jr. out of the the lineup with that stress reaction I mean they're they're starting Jarrett Jack Lance Thomas and Courtney Lee Courtney Lee is having still having a nice season they're starting those guys on the perimeter and Ennis Kanter you know he can space the floor better than most centers but you think about just the, the there aren't as many guys there that can just absolutely make you pay if you're forcing the ball out of Porzingis's hands and part of the other reason I enjoyed this game was because a lot of players had good offensive performances you know not everybody had the best defensive performances in this game there were some definitely some defense optional moments but one of those was Lonzo Ball he had a really nice stretch I believe it was in the third quarter where he yes. hit where he hit two threes you, and you can ask LeVar that- when that was because he was just going completely crazy in his front row seats MSG never disappoints with uh giving certain people uh, uh front row seats uh, uh as uh Frank Isola could tell you uh, but he was uh he went pretty crazy celebrating like a couple of Alonzo plays in a row and, and of course he was wearing a shirt that made it very hard to recognize that he was the one who was in fact standing up even though we would have known anyway but but yeah Alonzo had some really nice stretches in this game he had that alley-oop dunk from from KCP which was another nice play he had some some good defense possessions and of course he's a phenomenal passer so something Kevin Pelton brought up the original not the original KP because the original KP is even before Kevin Pelton but the that Lonzo looks so much better when he's aggressive and when he's confident and he looked aggressive and confident for stretches of this game and and it was a reminder of yeah this guy's a really good basketball player he just needs to figure out the elements of his game i.e. shooting that are weak yeah, I mean, when he hits a couple of threes, he really does get a lot more verve in his step, and he starts getting back to the confident player that we have come to expect. And we saw a few of the hit-ahead passes. He had a couple right at the end of the first half. Ball's line in aggregate, 6 of 13, hit 3 out of 6 on three-pointers for 17 points, 6 assists, 8 rebounds. He did have a few plays that I did not like. He is very susceptible, especially immediately after a switch to giving up back cuts we saw the Warriors kill him on that McDermott burned him a couple of times in this game and then he also just goes for a bunch of offensive rebounds that he just has no chance at and there were three times in this game where he went for offensive rebounds like went for the steal after a defensive rebound by the Knicks and as a result the guy who was guarding a point guard would get ahead of him the big guarding Porzingis would have to go and help out and then they would end up getting a three for Porzingis and and so that definitely hurt you know I think he's just got to learn to pick his spots a a little bit better with that uh what else stuck out to you about this one Danny we're too early for my tirade on the end of regulation right uh yes we are we're going for the generalist uh, theme right now uh 
but I could talk about Brandon Ingram. Uh, yeah. Five points, two of 12, five assists, uh, five turnovers. Really just a nightmare game for him. Only took one three-point attempt. He definitely is not even close to comfortable pulling up from three off the dribble. And he goes right every time. Draymond Green actually talked about that when he discussed his contest of him late in regulation in that Warriors game. And to the point where the Knicks strategy actually was to force him to go left, even if he was doing a pick and roll on the right side of the floor, you won't see that. Usually you'll force a guy baseline in that situation. And many times he would try to go right when it wasn't really there from the right wing. And then he's also, when he even if he can kind of get a shoulder by guys, he's not strong enough to stay on his path. So he'll kind of get bumped off of it. And then he would just be careening into the baseline and have to throw just a terrible pass that got picked off. Those were many of his five turnovers. And especially when he's just not looking to shoot the jump shot, it becomes very difficult for him. I thought he played a solid game defensively. He When he got switched on to KP, I thought he did a solid job. He even blocked his shot one time. But really an ugly game for Ingram. And, you know, again, he's falling into the same category as a lot of these guys. He certainly made significant improvements from last year. But, you know, as with all the young players, you hear the games that they do well and you don't hear about the games where they don't do well. And this was certainly one that fell into that category. It was good to see Frank Nokina out there so much. He ended up partially due to overtime playing 29 minutes, which was actually more than Jared Jack. He still has good chemistry with Kristaps Porzingis. And he was a little bit more aggressive at getting a shot. He still, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily looking for it. It's more when it falls into his lap, he'll take it. But I, I still, I have liked him more as a passer. And of course he has a lot of defensive potential. And I think the Knicks, they, they just play with a little bit of a different energy during his minutes. And he, he hasn't figured it all out yet, but I think they're better for it when he's out there. Yeah. And Frank continues to show great vision finding the role man i mean i i've watched probably his two best games of the year i think his other one was uh against charlotte and the chemistry in the pick and roll with porzingis when they're not actually switching now nilakina has zero chance of beating anybody on a switch and one play that was telling although he shot the ball well today was lonzo actually just miscommunicated and opened up the a straight patch to the room he didn't take it then he faked out lonzo and finally did go to the room and just was not even thinking about going in for what appeared to be an open layup i mean he passed the ball you know basically from the free throw line a million miles an hour trying to find someone cutting in from the corner and i think he ended up turning it over so he really is just at any time when he gets inside the arc he also shot a two-point jumper in overtime that looked terrible when they were up so he's got to get much better but considering his age i mean i think he's been solid in the the three-point shooting he hasn't been shooting well overall but he looks like he can be at least a little bit of a threat he hit one super deep one uh, as the shot clock was winding down Uh, what did you see from uh Kyle Kuzma in this one he was certainly aggressive looking for his shot I mean he he was there were moments where he just just really went for it and and taking 11 shots inside the arc including I think it was it two dunks something like that it was out was was good I mean you want to see a more balanced game from him in that way still not great defensively but it ties in I mean there are a couple of strands on I actually thought I thought he actually did okay in isolation against Porzingis I thought he did a good job he did better than I expected at the bare minimum yeah yeah and it wasn't that efficient of a game for me he doesn't really get to the foul line very much he had 19 points eight out of 17 three of six on threes but I was very impressed too just with like some of the plays that they'll run for him I mean they're running plays with him where he'll like flare off a screen away from the ball and get a pass and just you know shoot a jump shot on on a catch and shoot with his footwork I mean he he almost looks like a two guard out there sometimes with his jump shot 
And something that you and I have discussed at various moments, and I believe you were on this before I was, so full credit to you, is that the starting lineup needs his offense. I mean, they're already playing Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, two guys that have noted deficiencies as, as three-point shooters. And Brooke Lopez, you know, he he is what he is, and he, he can shoot threes, but that's not what he is. And so Kuzma would just bring more there than Larry Nance, and their defense has been better than we anticipated, certainly. But they are not playing. I mean, you, you can make an argument, and, and we certainly have in the past, and you more than me, that they should also play Jordan Clarkson more than Lonzo Ball. But at the bare minimum, I mean, Kuzma, it's a different calculus because he's a more likely piece of their future than Larry Nance's as opposed to the Ball-Clarkson one, which is more clear the other way. Yeah, and when you've got Ball out there shooting as poorly as he is, when when he actually was on today, it looks much better. Uh, but that starting lineup uh, with Nance as well, I mean, you're just you've got three guys, uh, Ingram, Ball, and Nance, who just are not threats at all behind the arc, and you're just relying on KCP. KCP actually got up 14 three point attempts in this one. It was good to see the Lakers actually get up 35 threes, uh, although against this Knicks defense that plays two bigs together most of the time, that's a little bit easier to do um and walton he goes back to his starting lineup at the end of the second but he knows that that's not the best lineup at, at the end of the fourth quarter and, and in large part the lineups were very interesting down the stretch it was nilakina Courtney Lee, Doug McDermott, Michael Beasley, who had a nice stretch early in the fourth quarter, uh, attacking some switches uh, by the Lakers, and then uh, Porzingis at center. And that unit forced a bunch of turnovers from the Lakers. And it was really, I thought, two fun, small groups out there uh, at the end, despite the fact that there were uh, some rather interesting strategic decisions in this one. Yeah, and it was fun to fun to see Michael Beasley have some nice moments. And then actually, McDermott, you talked about a little bit earlier, but I think it warrants repeating. McDermott had some beautiful duck-ins and just effort plays in overtime. He also had a, a one of those, I think of it as a coach's son play, which McDermott is a coach's son, where he grabbed Lonzo Ball when Ball was going for a rebound, and they're never going to call that in overtime. It's They should. You know, it's it's certainly a foul, but he did that, and that's how the Knicks got an extra possession, which I believe McDermott scored on. Yeah, they ran in the OT the same play either three or four times in a row. It was, it was actually something out of Terry Stotts' playbook, uh, where they would have McDermott start on the left side of the floor curl off uh, to the right elbow where Porzingis was waiting and Porzingis would set a flare screen so McDermott if you go under that he has the option to pop back out and shoot a three or if you stay attached to him from behind you've got Porzingis a great shooter his man doesn't want to help on the back screen and so McDermott's able to curl right to the rim and they were late on both of the passes to him one of them he ended up missing the layup but I think they got the offensive board another one uh, he was able to convert the layup he had a smaller guy on him most of the time uh and then the last time that the Knicks finally defended it but really it was more just that the timing was or, or the Lakers finally defended it but it looks like the timing from the Knicks it was up but it was good by uh, I like to see Hornacek just go back to the same play over and over again and uh, with Porzingis setting that screen and a, a shooter like McDermott who's also a smart cutter he really hurt the Knicks uh, quite a bit geez I keep conflating those he really hurt the Lakers uh, quite a bit in this one uh, with those back cuts uh, it could be a very effective set for the Knicks so the two coaching fiascos were at the end of regulation and the end of overtime. So at the end of regulation, the Lakers had a foul to give and the Knicks knew that. And the Knicks got the ball after Kyle Kuzma hit a big three to put to tie the game at 99. And so basically the question just became, okay, what are the Knicks going to do? And they knew they had the foul to give. So the way that generally works is a team goes a little earlier. They get the foul at, I don't know, like 10 seconds or something like that. And then they do whatever the play was intentionally. This time you could say it's too young teams 
teams. You could also say it was two young teams that might not have been prepared for this for some reason. The Knicks went way too late. And actually, my feeling was they got bailed out by the Lakers fouling because they got to about five seconds and had no idea what the hell they were going to do. Porzingis had the ball by himself at the top of the key. Julius Randle was on him and Julius Randle just fouled him. Like if they hadn't fouled, I think they would have just thrown up some crap. But the Knicks ended up basically throwing up some crap anyway. They, they had the chance, you know, with four seconds left to do something and they didn't there. So actually, let's talk about that one. Then we can talk about the other one. Yeah, well, uh, so for Porzingis, I mean, the, the play was the Lakers switched everything. They had Porzingis uh, going to the top of the key and KCP did a nice job of switching on to Porzingis. And, and Porzingis, for all of his gifts, he really, unless you get him the ball with a live dribble within about 20 feet of the basket, he's really not going to be able to create separation and get a shot unless he's just against like a really slow traditional center. And you can, once he puts the ball on the floor, you can send a double. As we mentioned, he's not really the greatest passer in the world. And so he had no chance to like get a good shot off against KCP that far away from the room. Actually, I thought the worst play, and you know, that wasn't a huge one. I mean, you're, you've got a chance to come back but you're you're a lot of times not going to get a great shot when you have to run the time down there the play that killed me the most was nicks up three 35 seconds left porzingis goes in for a layup and misses it thinks he gets fouled and stops to scream at the ref up yep. three with 35 seconds left and they end up it was his man kuzma i believe or i mean you know you can never quite assign responsibility to a certain man because it's you know, your transition defense has to cover the gaps and you end up on, on someone maybe you're not initially assigned to, but they give up a three with Porzingis way behind the play. I mean, if there's ever a time to just get back and not bitch while the ball is in play, I mean, that's it. I mean, that, that's really just like, uh, and uh, nothing bothers me more than uh, seeing that, especially in like a critical time of the game like that. Like just get over yourself and get back on defense, man. Yeah. And, and if they had even slowed the Lakers down on that possession, maybe they don't get a three maybe they don't get as good of a three as as they ended up with and they have a a much better chance of just winning the game in regulation and then overtime was the one that really got me because it's just such a basic process thing i agree with you that you know that that's what you want to know how basic it was mark jackson was yelling that they were making a huge mistake that's true and he he was actually right (laughs) completely right so the knicks were up they were actually up before this they were so they were up six and then they fouled uh, they were they fouled kcp kcp made two free throws so they have the ball and then it ends up being that McDermott turns it over and KCP shoots a three and misses it so the Knicks have the ball up four points with 32 seconds to go and so you're sitting there going oh well the Lakers need two possessions they have to make this game include as many possessions as they can and so you're sitting there and they're like they're not fouling and so so they're not fouling at all and eventually Frank Nokina misses a shot. They get they get the rebound, and then and then they, amazingly enough they go quick too. Um, they go they go for a two, and and everything happens. But it's like you basically are committing yourself to failing by going for by by not fouling there because you if as long as the team waits out the clock, they're gonna shoot it with like you know somewhere between eight to ten seconds left. Then the time the ball is in the air and all that. And then what made it even more egregious was the Lakers hadn't even used their foul to give. So then even when they had the 
favorable outcome when KCP got the tip in on Kuzma's miss, they still couldn't basically even, they they couldn't have even made their way back in the game. Yeah. It was absolutely insanely bad tactical management from Luke Walton and execution from the team. You don't know exactly who messed up, but it seems like everyone messed up. Yeah. Now keep in mind here, and I agree with you, it didn't make any sense to me, but keep in mind here that if you're down four and the other team has the ball with 32 seconds left, your win probability is probably, you know, like 3% or something. So you're, you're four or 5%. So it's not like, didn't cost them that much of a chance, but yeah, I, I find it. Yeah, but it's, it's, I well. mean, it's, it's basically lowering it to zero for no good reason. Like that, you know, right. it's, it's not, right. it's not the margin. That's the issue. It's, it's the, it's the reason for it. So yeah, it's, you know, and, and the Lakers winning, winning or losing this game is not going to affect the arc of their season or anything like that. But I, I always look at those. I mean, we've talked about this with Brett Brown before, before this year, where you don't get that many chances when you have a young team that isn't as good talent wise to prove your medal in clutch games. And this was a concern with Luke Walton in judgment, just like the concerns that he's playing the wrong guys and, and all that. I mean, you have all these things that are kind of running together and that's, you know, I'm not making any bold pronouncements here to say like, oh, he's a bad coach. Oh, we should be fired or anything silly like that. But you do start to file these things away and you consider them for when you have more information. Yeah. Well, the other thing you need to file away though, is that like their defense is actually solid this year. Right. Their personnel, you know I mean? And that's, and that's much bigger than any of this lineup stuff or anything else. And I think, right. you know, especially with him trying to build a culture you, know, you understand maybe why it is that larry nance is going to start and brooke lopez is an established veteran like if you're going to not play him in crunch time and you're not going to start him you're just going to lose him completely so it, it makes sense to me and he's had a very disappointing year i think as well but you know had kuzma and randall not emerged this year he would be playing more in the clutch but i think randall and kuzma especially with their additional versatility defensively look a little bit better than lopez at the end again so i think like luke has done overall a good job getting this team to defend is good but you know there, there are some things at the margin they could do get more offense last thing on this game Kristaps Porzingis I mean you've discussed on the 15 and 16 and other times his absolutely insane field goal percentage allowed on shots at the rim it's like under 40 percent he is just impossible to score on when he's in position like if he's around you're just not going to score like and you know he, his mobility is a little bit limited maybe he's not going to get there but if he's even remotely between you and the basket and you're going to try and go up for a shot within five feet of the rim you're just not going to score it's incredible i i still vacillate on what his ideal kind of position and role is overall just because the practical matter of you know you can't really have a guy be a center on one end power forward on the other end or vice versa it's just you know who who's next to him but that value as a rim protector is is intense and i want to see where it goes and i have a strange feeling that that might come up later in this week for a podcast that we're going to do on best young players in the league yeah just so we have it by the way uh, thanks to cleaning the glass uh, for this one the Knicks in the nine percent of minutes uh, that KP has played at center plus 13.4 net rating plus 3.5 net rating still when he's uh, at power forward and also when you consider and they've closed a few games with him at, at center and I think it have been effective there so I think we'll see more of that but given their limited wing death especially with Hardaway out right now probably not realistic to play him that much at center during the meat of the game so I, I understand that and you know they've got all these centers that they have to keep happy so i i think closing with him at center but keeping him at power forward most of the time especially because that's what he wants to do to is play power forward he feels like it wears him down so uh I, yeah. I will crack up that you say they have all these centers they need to keep happy but willie Ernan gomez keeps getting dnps well and noah is like not even dressing either i mean that's like he's just sitting behind the bench i mean he, he i wonder if he's ever even going to play another minute for the knicks i think he will maybe he'll maybe he'll play a few more minutes for the westchester knicks well 
or maybe he'll yeah maybe he'll uh play during like the last twitter nba show of the season when they're in like super tank mode at the end of the year although you know they could be uh they might get a, oh, a pick that's actually a higher that, than one. there's a very short thing i wanted to talk about before we get into the last game which is this dynamic that just because of the games we've covered we haven't really mentioned but a lot of the teams that are at the bottom of the you know not only the the win column so far this year but the projected win column at the end of the year have really picked some up in the last i mean you have the unbeatables now that have won one three straight the kings have won a couple games recently the suns are probably going to fall off they lost to the kings today without devin booker so like it's getting you know those teams are pushing up right now the the bulls and hawks are tied for the bottom with with six wins i believe and then you know everybody else is nine eight nine ten eleven and so the bottom might be a little higher this year than we thought it might have been yeah the bulls actually getting some nice play out of chris dunn miritich uh, has returned he <laughs> by the way that was one of the funnier tweets in a while when you tweeted out that screenshot was that was that a real screenshot yeah. of one two punch I believe, and I believe i believe like that the was the, the, the csn i believe that was the csn <laughs> on the after the bulls broadcast and i mean <laughs> oh that's the, great the sheer gumption of pulling that pulling that I'm in, sure in <laughs> whoever it was just like they just had decided before the game like hey we're gonna run this graphic with whoever the two best players were and it ended up being those oh see i think it was the reverse think i think i think they went we're gonna we're gonna do it live and we're just gonna we're gonna throw it out there and they uh, thought no they probably way. no way i don't and know anybody who works for like one of those csn units and it's kind of like true. half they owned are, by the team more... like they are way too scared to do something like that on purpose yeah chris you haynes can, back wh- when he wh- whoever for... whoever has the insight on this you can set you can send it to us in the dms we'll keep it anonymous but i would love to know yeah chris haynes back when he worked for and, and vince goodwill is in this category too actually of guys who work for the local csn or or, or nbc's local sports now channel are, are the guys who are willing to buck a little bit and, and i respect them a lot from that but i certainly understand why when you're basically employed by the team or by a network that the team owns like you know 25 or 50 percent of why you might be uh, a little more cautious there uh, all right let's get to a read here holiday shopping can be tough but thanks to movement watches mvmt.com slash cap is your url to get started with them you can make your Christmas shopping a very easy proposition. My mom actually likes the the watches so much that she actually got another one for my brother's girlfriend this year. And she's previously gotten some for my cousins, her nieces. I got her one. She used the cap space code. She was very happy to say that she did that uh, yesterday, or I said the slash cap space URL, I should say uh, on that. And if you just go to that URL, mvmt.com, movement.com slash cap space, you'll see why it's a beautiful styled minimalism. I happen to like their 40 series uh, for men, but men's uh, and women's watches. You'll find something you like and you'll find it starting at just $95. And then you get that 15% off uh, with that slash cap space url as well they've now sold over a million watches and they've sold in over 160 countries so if you're an international listener wanting to support the show this is a great way to do that once again to get started with them movement.com mvmt.com slash cap space join the movement and let them know that you came from us with that slash cap space url all right, Danny, this is in many ways, Philly and Minnesota, an ugly game. And, you know, last year we were really excited to see Towns versus Embiid. And I guess where I want to start with this a little bit is just that it seems like some of the joy of watching Carl Towns has kind of been lost, even on the offensive end so far this year. Like he's not really taking as many threes. He's 
seems to be like second in the the pecking order maybe third as well despite being a really efficient player his usage is down I mean he took 16 shots tonight and Wiggins took 24 and Butler took 33 and it just the we were at a point with Towns this is something we'll talk more about on the prospects I'm sure I mean still a wonderful player very skilled where just anything seemed possible with this guy and we're just it seems like now it's kind of he settled into just sort of being a cog in this Tibbs machine a cog that will probably soon break due to the minutes that he's playing and a lot of the joy kind of seems lost in watching Carlton's to me this year the, this Minnesota team is not hard to figure out it's just hard to process and I've been dealing with this over the course of the year where it's a lot of players that I enjoy but I don't necessarily enjoy them together yes and Towns is more a victim of this actually than Jimmy Butler is I mean we, we talked about how Jimmy Butler earlier in the year you know it seemed like he had to find himself and everything like that and he's he's been getting better I'd say he's he's been having a nice a nice go of it had another monster of a statistical game here but I mean this was his third game of 30 or more points in the last six and I might have been the last five actually and he's kind of getting his stride towns it's just going to be harder for him because Butler is the alpha in a lot of ways and the problem is not necessarily that that towns is even the second fiddle it's that he's fighting for second fiddle with Andrew Wiggins who thinks he is a more important player in this offense than he should be and that, that's a big problem and yeah so well you he, know for Wiggins his usage is actually down I think like 22 percent usage is not crazy for him it's just that it's, it's so many jumpers with him it's so many long twos he doesn't have the craft to get to the basket he's not a great passer he's not a great cutter and I think he's the guy who suffered the most from kind of this spacing challenge to team even though obviously you know Taj Gibson is clearly their best power forward on the roster but I think it's uh Wiggins you know Towns and Butler are so good that they can just score pretty efficiently even with all the limitations that they have around them and even Teague to some extent too is a guy who can get to the foul line every once in a while get into floater range and he's not as relying on the spacing but Wiggins to me is the guy who uh is struggling the most because all he really has is one dribble pull up for a long two come off the screen for a long two to uh, take and likely miss a, a spot up three. Who's one of seven tonight? It's something that I thought of during this game, particularly in overtime, because there were a couple of absolutely heinous possessions. Was we over the years have pinpointed that bad defenders are a lot better in post ups, in particular, and sometimes in one on one circumstances because they can just lock in on their guy; they don't have to do anything else, and that they get exploited everywhere else. And we saw a lot of that with Carl Towns in this game. Towns did a nice job on Joel Embiid a fair portion of the time when it was one on one when he just kind of is like okay this is my guy not biting on pump fakes not biting on feints and just making a hard shot didn't didn't block it every time didn't didn't get everything but he did a good job there but then when it was in the open court when he had to deal with the I mean one of the linchpins of this game was both he and Wiggins missing Ben Simmons cutting at the same time Simmons got an easy dunk yeah well that was like, that wasn't Towns's fault though like that was just Wiggins like I, I remember I you tweeted about the play and I caught up on it and I was like oh this is the play but like I mean there wasn't a screen there like Wiggins was just standing on the other side of the floor as was Simmons and Simmons just ran right into the basket and Wiggins didn't follow him like that's not Towns's responsibility if Towns's man had set a screen I, I see it and maybe you know he could have some awareness to provide some emergency help but that's all Wiggins to me on, on that play that's fair but it, but I mean there were it wasn't the only moment in that game where Towns on sure. the cut or in something no like obviously that. it's been well documented you know I mean his his defense on like that Embiid Euro step where he was operating more as a help defender I thought for example it was pretty heinous where you know Embiid picks the ball up 
at like the free throw line basically and Towns like starts jumping like he's gonna shoot a floater from the free throw line and Embiid like Euro steps right by him. And then you you compare that to what Philadelphia has and remember they weren't playing Robert Covington this game because he's still out with his back issue that their players seem like they amplify each other and part of that is because they're all three of them are, are capable passers. I mean Simmons is obviously the best passer of the six and Towns is a wonderful passer but it ties in there and because the floor spacing is better the defense is miles better and you know i mean jimmy jimmy butler is still a phenomenal player i don't blame him for this at all but when you think about those collectives and then you think about just kind of how the teams are built on top of that jj reddick is a so much more of a coherent piece with what philly is building and yes he is only on a one-year contract so we don't know how that's going to happen moving forward and by the way i mean how much better would the wolves look right now if they'd thrown their money at him maybe i mean well i don't know it's tough to say whether they're getting more out of gibson and teague than they might have out of reddick but they you know what they could have done maybe too would be to they could have gotten reddick for less money on a two-year deal or something like that you know maybe he because he talked about on his podcast how he was hoping for a longer term deal just to get a little bit more kind of stability and security than the the one-year deal but if they offer him you know two years 32 million or something like that like does he come there instead of um instead of going to philly for one year 23 million maybe he does and and you have that with the wolves that i mean they only had one made three-pointer in the first 47 minutes of this game and they will make more of those you know that was that they had some bad luck and had some bad misses in that time but they are going to have games like that they are not so good as shooters that you go oh my god that's never going to happen or anything like that and they also like they they get to the free throw line to their credit they got it's been the early part of the game they were getting to the line more that that waned late and so they are going to you know they'll have good games they'll have bad games but remember they weren't getting philly's best shot ben simmons couldn't score throughout most of this game he was missing some shots he wasn't taking i think he only had four shots for a lot of it yeah he's had a few games where he just especially against teams with real good rim protection i think where he just doesn't feel comfortable trying to go right to the rim but so i mean that's one thing to watch about his game is like you know can he score against the best teams not that this is some great minnesota defense but he'll have some oddly passive games but uh well, and fortunately, then the other part, yeah go ahead, sorry. the other part of that is that they really missed covington because the guy they started in his stead was rashawn holmes and while rashawn holmes actually took three threes you respect him in a very different way than covington and i just thought that put more guys in ben simmons path and that was a part of what scared him off and so it's not necessarily even about the quality of an individual defender just the overall amount of arms arms and bodies and all that kind of stuff was a problem for him and he was able to contribute in other ways had a couple of beautiful passes including just a beaut of an alley-oop to Rashawn Holmes basically from half court he can do that and Sharich is also a wonderful passer he had a I think it was to Simmons actually he had a really nice one in overtime and so I that's a concern for this for this T-Wolves team is that if their defense isn't consistent and isn't good their offense is going to sputter like they're going to have games like that absolutely and they're also going to have games when they sputter late because they play their guys an absolutely heinous amount of minutes yeah with the wolves i mean we've talked about that a lot i don't think we need to get into it too much but towns 48 minutes butler 46 in this one no sixer played more than 40 despite the overtime and beat had 39 i would imagine that's a a career high in minutes for him uh but the the sixers you know you mentioned the lack of spacing i mean they had 24 turnovers and with a young team especially now without as much spacing you'll see that and and booker was good trevor booker was good you know and and we were a little critical of that trade i mean he had 12 points and, and five assists 
assists on six of eight and was plus eight in this one but and he played more than Amir Johnson did pretty much exclusively in two big alignments but when you see that you know TLC only played four minutes they've got McConnell another non-shooter who again you know is a solid player but brings a ton of fit issues getting one more guy who who could shoot on the wing and just you know not make bad mistakes defensively I thought was a, a bigger need than uh, what they're getting with Booker another thing that was huge to me about this one that stuck out more than just about anything was Joel Embiid's passing eight assists he was getting doubled late I mean he had one pass he had as because uh the Sixers were down nine with six minutes left in regulation and Embiid I think had either three or four assists in that last six minutes of game one where he drove in from the right wing late clock got double teamed and leaned backward reached around with his left hand to throw a pass to a, a wide open shooter um and he hit a couple of cutters as well he was getting double teamed finding people and the growth in his game since that first Golden State game shortly thereafter was that Lakers game where he had a ton of assists I mean that is just so massive to me that he's become a quality passer in just this short amount of time especially when you consider the lack of spacing that some of the windows that he had to get into there and he only had two turnovers as well he's he was not the big problem with their turnover issues he still is a little bit prone to the over dribbling and some of the concerns we had last yeah. year and early this year, but it even seems like he's taking steps to, to make that better. And Derek Bodner and I have talked over the last couple of years about one of the defining attributes of Joel Embiid is how much better he can get during like a, a, a small period of time. Yeah, we've and talked about that too. I mean, it's really yeah, remarkable. It, it's, it's insane. And the fact that he still has played, I think it's somewhere around 50 NBA games and has been able to improve as much as he has and be as good defensively as he has been overall and the fact that he played all of overtime with five fouls that's also you know then he needed to stay on the floor there was one play where he almost committed his sixth, but they called it on Rashawn Holmes before he committed his sixth but outside of that I thought he did a good job avoiding it and he is just an incredible talent and the Sixers are not close to a finished product they probably won't be for a long time but they have some really really good pieces to build around and what I love so much about Simmons and B and Simmons and beat Covington is that you can do a lot of different things as long as it involves shooting and I think it's going to work you don't have to get exactly the right guy you just have to fit certain boxes couple more notes uh, on this one before we retire from the evening JJ Redick 11 of 11 from the foul line 26 points and when you foul JJ Redick for 11 free throw attempts in a game you are not playing good defense that is just you are fouling a jump shooter time and again he's not getting to the rim he's not putting pressure on the defense defense in that way Jeff Teague had a really bad foul on him to, during their, their comeback and that was a, a disappointment and then Minnesota well they did get on the offensive glass for 17 offensive rebounds including a big one that led to a big three by Butler with under a minute remaining actually like three offensive rebounds in a row that finally led to that Butler three their transition defense is so bad I mean if you're asking guys to get on the offensive glass with two traditional bigs and get back and play this number of minutes it's really just completely unrealistic again the wolves went to only three subs they still have that midfoot sprain with bielitsa so he's out and 
you know, Shabazz Muhammad's not playing. Cole Aldridge, is, I don't know if he's even played a minute this year. So it's basically Jang, Tyus Jones, and Jamal Crawford. And Gibson fouled out at the beginning of overtime or he would have played 45 minutes and Jang would have played 13. I, mean, I really think you could alleviate things a little bit by playing Jones and Teague more together or something along those lines. But, uh, you know, we'll see what ends up happening here. Tibbs uh, has not learned uh, his lesson, apparently. And it's always, you, you always have plausible deniability in these issues right like you can never prove that it's the minutes that cause problems but you know i think generally it's been shown at this point that teams that play players this number of minutes eventually are more likely in the long run to suffer additional injuries you knew i was going to look it up cole aldrich has played 10 minutes this year <laughs> and played 500 <laughs> and he's played well no i wanted to mention one other thing and 531 last year was that Tib- tibbs went to his credit because you and i you and I both support this. He went no timeout at the end of regulation, yes. to, so that the so that Min, uh, Philly couldn't get into it. And credit to Dario Saric for a nice contest on Jimmy Butler's shot. I, I he you know I think he slipped a little bit, and so they could they couldn't get exactly what they wanted. But I like the process of it. It didn't it didn't work out for them. He missed the shot. They ended up going to overtime and losing. But I like that he made that decision. Yeah, and that, that's interesting. The both the and also Tibbs is a big timeout guy. They actually had a timeout left too. You know, he usually would call it, and it was after. It was interesting because it was after Embiid hit two free throws to tie it they ran a great play for Embiid before that down two where Simmons inbounded it to Embiid who just beasted Carl Towns turned around right at the charge circle got it and got a foul call and Embiid hit two clutch free throws finished 11 of 12 from the foul line on his way to the, those 28 points uh and then so the no timeout isn't quite as effective when the other team has had a chance to sub as with a free throw and you know you kind of have 60 seconds to talk things over and get things in your head as well but i still appreciated it and especially if you're going to run the time down and run an iso anyway as they did but the other downside there is you didn't quite get the type of play i would have liked because they had butler on the right wing jeff t guarded by reddick is in the right corner if you're going to do an iso on the wing you really got to clear that corner out and go to the weak side or you need to just do the iso from the top of the key this is another one that steph curry kills me on too where he always tries to iso you know like below the break and it's like you if you can't back up and get some speed up because like you know butler had an advantage matchup against charge you would think um so charge played good d and butler stumbled and, and ended up way short on the shot after he'd previously hit two three-pointers in, in the last minute including a, a six step back on Embiid after a switch and pick and roll one other thing I just wanted to mention, because uh, it's it's a strength of his that we don't talk about enough, Embiid is shooting 80% at the free throw line for the season and oh, 79% yeah. for his career. All right, that is a good one to end on. Don't forget our sponsors, Movement Watches, MVMT.com slash Capspace is that URL. And don't forget about the Twitter NBA show. Tomorrow, we've got Paul George's non-triumphant return to Indy, at least as it stands right now. No one would have ever predicted that the Pacers would have a better record than OKC during this game especially when you consider the lack of injuries so far that okc has sustained so that'll be a really interesting one i'm really looking forward to getting into the pacers in the usual granule detail that we always provide and then you know we'll do the first quarter of uh, hornets rockets until that turns into a blowout hey maybe dwight will have another great game against a former team he's already done it at least once this year i think twice all right talk to you all next time at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment 
It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.